0: Welcome to the Three Strands Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It is our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. That, um, that is quite the welcome. You should know that I have so much love and respect for David and Stephanie. Like 10 years ago, they were the friends that we did not know that we needed. We didn't even know to ask for them. And um, they, the Lord just intersected our lives at the right time. And everything that I felt ashamed of speaking out loud, um, this, this girl in my group would say, like, me too. And um, I, was con- I felt connected to her right away. And the friendship has just grown. And, and you should also know that, um, like, we prayed with them. Uh, many years ago when they were praying about starting three strands and we've been praying my husband and I my family been praying for you guys ever since and just cheering you on from a little bit of afar Um, Stephanie and I don't get to see each other every week like we used to but we still um, talk enough so that I feel very connected to her and very honored to be here Um, and shout out to whoever bought um, brought the biscuits and gravy that is my favorite and they were delicious and I received those from the Lord this morning um, thank y'all for having me here. I'm going to share my story and uh, we'll just jump right in. So like Stephanie said, my name is Leslie and my husband and I have been married for 17 years. Um, he really wanted to be here this morning. Um, he is my favorite worship leader ever. Um, he Some stuff came up and he had to stay home, but um, we've been married for 17 years and we have four kids, so um, life around our house is fun and crazy. And oh, look—we're babies. We were babies when we met. How did they? How did they give us a marriage license? I'm not. And those are our actual babies. Um, It's crazy at our house, but it's a lot of fun. So our oldest is in the middle. That's Sophia. She's 10. And then we have twins on the edges there. Um, They're eight. Uh, And then Lucas is the little exclamation point of our family. If you can't tell, he's spoiled rotten. He's five. Um, We live in Frankfurt. Kentucky, and my husband is the CEO of a company that sells toys um, on Amazon, so he's basically a giant kid. And uh, I stayed home and homeschooled our kids, which is a new journey. Um, but way back, uh, way back when, I grew up with a pretty stable family life. It wasn't quite as crazy as ours is now. My parents um, have been married for 45 years, and I have one older brother. My mom is from South America, and my dad was a commercial airline pilot for over 30 years. So basically, I grew up like seeing a bunch of the world and just believing that it was bigger than our little corner of it. My dad wasn't religious at all, um, never, really never went to church. And my mom was a hardcore um, Latina Catholic. And so we went to Sunday school and church every week, my brother and I did. And I would say that we were and still are um, a pretty close-knit family. In fourth grade, we moved to Kentucky and that's the earliest memory that I have of feeling like there was something wrong with me, specifically something wrong with my body. Um, Apparently, sharing clothes was like a sign of friendship um, in my fourth grade world and so this girl from school came over to play after school one day and started flipping through my closet and pronounced that there was nothing in there for her because all of my clothes were too big. I felt shame about my body and even though I was a normal, healthy um, 10-year-old, I bit off on the lie, I heard the lie, that I had to be skinnier than average, um, thinner than average to fit in. That idea was reinforced over the next few years. Um, My best friend was, like, stick thin, and I had um, Latina curves, like, even in middle school. I was athletic, and I had a big mouth, though, so I decided to try out for the cheerleading squad. Um, I remember being devastated in seventh grade. Um, Shocked and devastated and confused that I didn't make it. Um, The coach explained to my mom the next week that um, the guest judges that she had brought in thought I didn't have the right type of body to be a cheerleader. Um, The coach did and she asked me to join the team and I did, um, but the damage had already been done. I continued to cheer all through high school, um, but I never felt like I was skinny enough to be a real cheerleader. When I was 15, which was my least favorite age, um, an older guy sent me flowers before a cheerleading competition that had um, a little card that said, good luck, beautiful. And that one word, beautiful, it shifted something in me. Although I was a stereotypical goody two shoes, uh, being Catholic and everything, I began lying to my parents and sneaking around with this older guy. Within two months, I had abandoned all of my principles and given myself completely to him anything to keep feeling beautiful. I was terrified when I discovered that I was pregnant just a few weeks later. I was a child playing a grown-up's game and I was so far in over my head. My parents, who didn't know Jesus then, were scared about what this would mean for my future and they took me to have an abortion during Christmas break of my sophomore year of high school. It was um, a decision that would haunt all of us for um, many, many years to come. My boyfriend dumped me the next week, breaking my heart into even more pieces, and I felt depressed and hopeless. Remember, I had grown up Catholic, um, and I loved God, and I really believed that in order to get to heaven, I had to do more good things than bad things. Um, And until the last few months, I'd really done a pretty good job of that, but um, in my 15-year-old heart, uh, and after what I had done, I knew that all hope of that was gone. Like, how could I ever do enough good to undo just the last couple months? A few weeks later, a teacher invited um, a couple of friends and myself to come here as new pastor, and I will never forget that. Um, Growing up Catholic, I had known and repeated every week that Jesus had died on the cross, but no one had ever explained why. Um, Because I believed that I had to do more good than bad, I didn't really see what the cross had to do with that. I didn't really know what Jesus had to do with it. But that Sunday, it all made sense. As this preacher shared um, Scripture from Isaiah 118, that says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I can take them out and make you as white as snow. And I, um, I grabbed a card and a pencil to write that verse down, but I didn't need to because it was just burned in my heart um, in that moment. It made sense, my sin required punishment. And Jesus had died in my place, he had taken my punishment. I knew, even as that 15 year old girl, maybe especially as that 15 year old girl, that it should have been me on the cross. Um, but that he paid the price for, that, for my sins. And that day I told Jesus, if this is true, if any part of this is true, I'm in. Like, if you can wash the stain of my sins away, I'm in. And so on February 6, 1996, um, I traded the shame of my sin for his forgiveness, and I gave my life to him. It's the best day of my whole life. The shame um, immediately was lifted off my shoulders. And though I still had lots of processing and grieving and things to work through, um, the shame was gone, and I was free to do that with um, with Jesus, who I was just beginning to, to get to know. So I began going to youth group and reading my Bible and learning more about this God who loved me so much. After high school, I went to UK. I started working at a gym on campus, and I became involved in a campus ministry, hoping to stay in shape spiritually and physically. I eventually joined the leadership team there where I met my husband, John. I was drawn to his passion for worship, his heart to obey God, and his integrity. Being around him made me want to know Jesus better. We got married as soon as we graduated, and we went into full-time ministry together. The thing about John, though, and you would know this if he were here today, is that he has a ridiculously high metabolism. Um, He typically eats breakfast, and then second breakfast, and then lunch, and then dinner, and then second dinner every day. So in the first year of our marriage, I gained 20 pounds just by eating meals with him. I had grown up in the low-calorie, low-fat food era, but I had never really been on a diet before, even as a cheerleader. Um, That year that we got married was my first diet. I started doing Atkins, um, eating lots of salad and grilled chicken and those darn cheese cubes. And I walked every day and tried a couple exercise videos, um, but nothing really seemed to work. Frustrated, um, I decided to try Weight Watchers. I'm a disciplined person and I enjoy tracking numbers and making lists and so this really appealed to me. And I had a a good amount of success on it. I stayed under my allotted points, eating very specific measured amounts of food for each meal and I made separate meals for John, who continued to have the audacity to eat when he was hungry. I also really loved exercising. On a typical day in my mid-twenties, I would wake up and do a kickboxing video. Um, sometimes rewinding the intense parts and doing them again just for fun. Um, then afterwards I do a strength training video and in the afternoons I would take a walk around my neighborhood being sure to get my heart rate up so that it um, maybe be counted as exercise and then later in the day I'd allow myself to watch TV only if I was on the treadmill. And sometimes at night four or five times a week John and I would go to our friend's house and I would do a step aerobic video with her and he would um, lift weights with her husband and it seemed like a great thing to do as a couple. The only day I ever took off was Sunday, even if we were on a vacation. And when my mom had knee surgery, I stayed in the hospital with her, um, and I brought my kickboxing videos and worked out right there in her hospital room like a crazy person. And that was me in 2006, living what I thought was my best life. That first year I had lost um, all the 20 pounds I had gained and 10 more. My mom said, because moms always know, um, that I was starting to get too skinny, but mostly, Um, everybody else just congratulated me on losing weight and told me how great I looked. What they didn't know was that I had become really consumed by all of it. I loved the feeling of being in control. I became judgy of anyone um, even slightly overweight, thinking if they just did what I was doing, they could lose the weight too. And what started as a way to care for my body and relieve stress had turned into something that was running my life. The control I had loved so much was now controlling me I was terrified to miss a workout or eat without calculating the points, convinced that a single meal would add back on 10 pounds. Well, after five years of marriage, John and I decided to start um, trying to have a baby because, after all, if we could control not getting pregnant, then obviously we could control getting pregnant also. Um, I bought a baby carrier, like literally the day after we made this decision, I went out and bought a little baby carrier for him to use, and I wrapped it up and I put it in our closet to give to him What I thought would be like two weeks later when we got a a positive pregnancy test. I was sure that would happen in a few weeks Um, but several negative tests later we made an appointment with a fertility doctor. In the initial exam she was asking me questions about my medical history and one of the questions asked if I had an eating disorder. Um, I said I I didn't know. I didn't think so because I didn't take laxatives and I didn't make myself throw up and I didn't starve myself and I really, I looked like I was a healthy, um, maybe even healthier than normal person. Um, I didn't look like someone with an eating disorder. But when I explained um, how I ate and how I exercised, she said that that was definitely affecting my hormones and my fertility. She told me um, that if I was insisting on staying on Weight Watchers, I needed to double the amount of points that I was eating every day and cut my exercise in half. And she told me, you know, you're going to gain a few pounds, but just consider it early baby weight. Well, I really wanted to have a baby, um, so I took her advice and assumed it would work immediately, but um, it was two long years and lots of um, different fertility pills and driving an hour each way to my doctor's office every month to see how things looked, Um, tests and even some surgeries. And every month my heart was crushed all over again. And that present, that baby carrier that I had wrapped up for John stayed hidden in the closet. In the meantime, Well-intended friends and family um, were asking us when we were gonna start a family and why we were waiting so long um, to have a baby. I didn't really know what to say. Being on staff at a church, I felt like my life was already kind of on display for all to see and this was something that I didn't know how to talk about and I just wanted to keep it between us. The cost of my privacy was isolation though. I felt alone and scared and I didn't talk to anyone about it except for John. Looking back, I can see that all the tests and appointments and scheduled intimacy took a real toll on our marriage. Well, after um, two or three years, we finally got that positive pregnancy test. Uh, My best friend, who is pregnant with her second child, reminded me when I told her, she she said, Leslie, your body is growing another human, um, and it'll tell you what to eat if you listen. Like, this isn't the time to follow a plan, this isn't the time to try to control this, that if you are craving a cheeseburger, your baby probably needs iron. And if you want a milkshake, um, your baby probably needs calcium. And she gave me permission to eat these things. And for the first time um, in years, I didn't feel um, the pressure to be um, to be skinnier. I didn't obsess about what I ate. And I don't think I even exercised um, much at all after the first few months. Because uh, I read a statistic that says when you're pregnant, you burn the same amount of calories as if you're climbing a mountain every day. And that felt pretty good. Um, My friend also encouraged me to wait a year after delivery before trying to lose any weight. Um, She told me that, listen, it takes nine months to put it on. It's going to take at least nine months to take it off, and you won't have the energy to think about those things. It was the first time that I didn't feel like I was suffocating under this pressure I had put on myself. Well, when Sophia was born, um, things started to change at home. Uh, I had been very involved in our ministry at the church and I couldn't do that anymore and I could really feel a distance growing in our marriage. I knew something was wrong but I couldn't put my finger on it. Six months later uh, John admitted he was having an affair. He lost his job at the church and I filed for divorce. I had just turned 30 and my husband's girlfriend had just turned 18 which just fueled the lies that not only was I not skinny enough but now I wasn't young enough either. John was arrested, mercifully, a few months later, since the girl had been 17 when the affair started. Although he had been in full-time ministry for almost 10 years, John realized that night in jail that he had never had an encounter with the cross. He had tried to live for God, and he had done a decent job of it um, until lately, but he had never really traded in his sin and his best efforts for God's forgiveness and grace. He wrestled with God that night and gave his life to Christ um, the next morning began going to a freedom and recovery ministry at his sister's church around the same time. I also began going to that recovery ministry, separately from John. Um, There was a group there for wives or ex-wives of men who have sexual integrity issues. I had no idea how alone I felt until I found this group of women. They didn't judge me, or um, they didn't judge John either. They understood all that I was feeling, and they gave me tools to help me learn how to grieve the losses and set boundaries and process through my anger and hurt. I learned how to forgive and how to um, actually did it. Within a few weeks, I realized that this group wasn't actually about John. The Lord had invited me there to deal with the wounds of rejection and abandonment that had started long before I met my husband. My identity had been wrapped up in being a pastor's wife, in being John's wife, and I had no idea who I really was apart from that. In the first of the 12 steps of recovery, I realized that my perfectly disciplined life had actually become um, really unmanageable, and I let go of trying to control John and his choices. I thought it was his issues that brought me there, but it was my perfectionism, self-reliance, and control that needed to be exposed as well. John gave me lots of space during this time. He kept going to the recovery ministry, but he didn't expect anything from me. Um, In fact, I told him to sit across the room and not talk to me at all. Um, and he didn't. So we continued our healing journey separately for a few months, and then I began to pray with the the girls in my group about what reconciliation might look like and how to go about that. In November, I got the green light from the Lord to be all in as John's wife again, and three weeks later, I got a positive pregnancy test. I was scared, very scared. It was one thing to risk my heart with John. It felt very new and fresh, uh, but it was another to bring um, bring a baby into the mix. That just felt irresponsible. After all our fertility issues, I wasn't even sure how this had even happened. Um, I I wrestled with the Lord for two hours that morning before telling John there was no wrapped baby present to give him this time. Um, And I finally rested in the realization that my life was already completely out of control. God was either big enough to handle all of it or none of it. So John was still dealing with the criminal charges from his affair. In light of our pregnancy, he pled guilty to 11 felony charges and requested that he be allowed to begin his six-month jail sentence as soon as possible. It was a whirlwind um, couple of months. I put my wedding rings back on in November, found out I was pregnant in December, found out it was twins in January, and John started serving his six-month jail sentence in February. So Sophia and I moved in with my parents when John went to jail and I realized again my inability to manage my life and handle things on my own. I couldn't even give my daughter a bath or lift her out of my crib, out of her crib. I was dependent on Jesus and the people that he put around me for almost everything. I learned during this season that Jesus will come through for me as much as I will let him and that he isn't impressed when I can handle things on my own. I learned that my dependence is what leads me to intimacy with him but even that looked different. I couldn't wake up an hour earlier to read my Bible and journal like I used to because I was exhausted all the time. So I learned how to have a relationship with Jesus throughout the day, walking with him and talking with him and um, frankly, sometimes napping with him. Spending time with God wasn't something to check off my list anymore. It was my lifeblood. It was the only way I could get through the day. I learned who Jesus is as my husband, who he always wanted to be. I learned how to take my heart to him before taking it to John to look for the approval and validation from him first. I had always known that Jesus would be enough in theory, but I had just never needed him that desperately and practically before. God was continuing to break the chains of self-reliance, perfectionism, and control. As far as my weight, I gained about 80 pounds, and my belly was so big that I couldn't stand upright for more than a few minutes in the last trimester with the twins. I didn't care, though. I felt more beautiful than I ever had in my whole life. John was able to come home a few weeks before the kids were born in 2011. There was a humility and dependence that that marked our marriage and our parenthood. With three kids under two, we knew we were in over our heads. Our life was crazy, but wonderful. We lived in an everyday awareness of our need for Jesus. We continued to go to the recovery ministry as we learned how to let God put the pieces of our hearts and our marriage back together. When Sophia was born, the baby weight had fallen off quickly right afterwards because of all the stress in our marriage. After the twins were born, that wasn't the case. Most of the weight came off naturally. As I nursed and went about life as normal with three babies, if that's a thing, Um, I lost all but the last 10 pounds, and I told myself I was okay with it. Of course, I wanted to lose it, but I didn't want to go back to the hypervigilance of counting points, and I didn't have the time or the energy to do all that exercising I had done before. Besides, I knew that the shape of my body had changed after these pregnancies, especially after carrying the twins. The skin on my stomach had stretched to accommodate 15 pounds of solid baby, and there was no going back after that. During this time, I went through the book Captivating by Stacey Eldridge at our recovery ministry, and one of the principles. Um, that I learned, is that we're all created with a beauty to unveil. That word beauty struck a chord in me just like it had when I was 15, and I was eager to see what God had to show me. The first week, our group leader invited us to bring in things that were beautiful to us, paintings and flowers and um, things like that. I brought a picture of myself on the day that the twins were born. I thought, and still think, that a pregnant woman is one of the most beautiful things in the world. The miracle of pregnancy and the selflessness of the woman to surrender her body and the glow that happens are all a part of that beauty. But the Lord showed me in this class that there was a bigger reason I had identified pregnancy with beauty. It was the only time I had felt beautiful. It was the only time I listened to my body and treated it gently instead of depriving it and pushing it harder. He showed me that beauty and body weight had become entangled and confused in my mind and he began to speak to me about real beauty. He showed me how people family. Even strangers had commented on my beauty since childhood, but because I had such a distorted view of it, um, their comments just bounced off. I never believed them or received them. I got pregnant um, two years later again, and Lucas was born in 2014. Again, most of the baby weight came off naturally, all but the last 10 pounds. Again, I told myself I would be okay with that. I really wanted to be, but when Lucas was almost a year old, I decided to start working out again. My husband's job um, started a Biggest Loser program and there was a $200 cash prize for the winner and um, I'm a little bit competitive. So we bought the Insanity Workout program off an infomercial and John and I began working out together in the basement for half an hour before the kids got up. This felt healthier to me than exercise in the past because I was only working out once a day and it was something that John and I could share together. I enjoyed pushing myself and the old familiar feeling of control that that gave me. The weight came off quickly, and I felt the familiar validation that came from buying smaller clothes. But a lot had changed in the decade since my mid-20s, and less than six months into the Insanity workouts, I tore my meniscus. The doctor assured me it was a simple knee surgery, and even said that I would be back to doing Insanity in four to six weeks. I was scared that I would gain the weight back after surgery, and I was eager for those weeks to pass by quickly. As soon as I reached the four-week mark, I started doing Insanity again, and I tore my meniscus all over again. After the second surgery, John told me that he didn't care what the doctor said. He didn't want me to do Insanity ever again. I pouted for a little while, but deep down I knew he was right. I tried to walk and swim whenever I could and eat normally, but I really wasn't sure what that meant. I gained a few pounds in the months that followed. In reality, it was probably less than five pounds, but it was enough to make all of my new clothes start to feel a little snug. Without the ability to push myself in exercise, I decided to try a different eating program. Um, my sister-in-law had been doing paleo, so I jumped on board with that and cut out um, carbs and sugar and was eating mostly lean um, protein and vegetables. Again, it sounded really healthy and probably is really healthy for some people, but it wasn't for me. Um, the discipline and rigidity of it appealed to my perfectionism and my self-reliance. This was something I could control. And one day a week, I had a cheat day where I ate whatever I wanted. I told myself, I rationalized that that was good for me because it was helping me to see that I um, I couldn't actually gain 10 pounds from one meal like I had always thought. What I didn't know, though, was that those cheat days were reinforcing some negative ideas for me, That, that these foods were bad and these foods were good, that binging once a week was normal and healthy. I was very controlling about what I ate, and that seeped out into my family as well because I didn't want to hang out with our friends, or go out to eat, or even have a date night unless it was a cheat day. I didn't want to make cookies with the kids, or have pizza for family movie night unless it was a cheat day. I was aggravated with how much of our society seemed to revolve around food, and still something inside me knew that this wasn't how it was supposed to be. I had often talked with my friend Carrie about how we wished there was a class at our recovery group for people who struggled with their weight and body image. Not a class on how to lose weight or get healthier on the outside. We have had plenty of those. But a class that dealt with the root issues. More of the why than the how. When she told me that she found an eating disorder curriculum called New ID that sounded like what we'd been looking for, I knew I was supposed to be in that group, and I started to pray for someone to lead it. A few weeks later, Carrie asked me to pray about leading it with her. I was surprised and overwhelmed and felt like this was completely out of my league. I asked the Lord, How can I lead people when I don't know where I'm going? His answer came quickly and clearly. I know where you're going. You know how to get to me, and that's all you need to know. The first night of our group, there were people of different sizes, different ages, different races, and both genders with different types of disordered eating. Between the 12 or so of us, we struggled with anorexia, bulimia, compulsive eating, compulsive dieting, compulsive exercising, and body image disorder. They were different struggles, but similar roots, all based in shame or anxiety or control. I realized all over again that I wasn't alone. The Lord showed me in the first few weeks that what I had called a complicated relationship with food and exercise was actually a full-blown eating disorder. As we watched the videos in our curriculum, I borrowed hope that I wouldn't always have to live this way. I began to believe that actual freedom was possible and that the Lord saw me already healed when he looked at me nothing I had sacrificed on the altar of my body image had worked anyway no matter how skinny or fit I became it was never enough and it never quieted the voices in my head the mental obsession and the fear of gaining the weight back had become even more controlling than the things I did to lose it like every addiction the cost was higher than I ever realized grieving the losses and forgiving had been a crucial part of my recovery after John's affair So I applied those same tools here. I made a list. I listed the things I had lost as a result of my eating disorder, the social gatherings, the joy, the time and energy spent planning what I'd be eating or when I would exercise, all the money I had spent on new clothes every time I lost or gained weight, the actual damage done to my body, the knee surgeries, the fertility struggles, and I grieved these losses. I listed the ways I had hurt myself and other people, controlling when and where we went out to eat, Criticizing and judging others who did it differently, eating separately from my family even when we were together, and I asked God and my family to forgive me. I listed the people who had spoken lies to me and the people who had intentionally or not contributed to the drive to be skinnier, and I let them off the hook too. That freed me up to do some of the real work we needed to do in our class. And one of the um, one of the one of the conversations we have often. Um, is we ask the Lord to show us what we're afraid of, what's driving this behavior. We play a game that I like to call what's the worst that can happen. Not everybody likes this game as much as I do, but um, let's say that I'm sick. Um, So I was, side story, I was diagnosed with um, mono a couple months ago and still thought I should be working out during that time and John was kind of the voice of reason that said this is not the time for you to be pushing yourself harder. So we played this little game. Um, called What's the Worst That Can Happen? So I wanted to drag myself out of bed and work out even though I was um, clearly sick. And so I said, okay, Lord, what's the worst that can happen if I don't do this? Uh, I'll miss a workout. Jesus said, okay, so what? I said, well, then I might gain weight. And he said, so what? And I said, well, five pounds here and five pounds there add up and I don't want to be fat. And he said, why not? And I said, well, I think that's pretty obvious, Lord, but um, he said, think about it for a minute. And so I said, because that will mean that I've failed. I know how to be skinny, and so if I don't do those things to be skinny, then I failed. And he said, well, why does that matter? And I said, because I want to be perfect. And there it is, perfectionism rearing its head in a different area of my life. But calling it out was half the battle then I could bring it to the Lord and let him speak truth over me. By the time we ended the semester in May, I had stopped any kind of structured diet. I'd begun to eat with my family again, without off-limit food or cheat days. I stopped measuring my food and just ate until I was satisfied. I was learning that rest matters as much as pushing through, that stretching matters as much as high intensity. I actually enjoy yoga, which I had previously considered not a real exercise. I put my scale away, which felt scary because I used to weigh myself every week and sometimes every day so that I could gauge and adjust accordingly. Without a way to quantify my recovery, how would I know if I was doing it right? Perfectionism again. But the Lord was teaching me a new way, letting me trade in rules and control, um, self-denial, striving and excessive discipline for his grace, his leadership, self-care, kindness, and rest. I was five months into this new way of life, and I hadn't gained any real weight to speak of, despite changing all those behaviors. Over the summer, though, I gained 10 pounds, and that threw me into a real tailspin. I felt the fear and the shame creep up again. When it came time to start the fall semester, I didn't think I could lead our group anymore. The Lord reminded me that our group was never intended to be a how-to. The prescription is different for each of us. Some people in our group need to stop eating so much sugar. I needed to start eating a little bit more of it. Some needed to exercise more. I needed to exercise less. He reminded me clearly that the only way out was to follow him for every single step. I had learned how to do this when my marriage fell apart. When I got pregnant with the twins, when my husband went to jail, I had learned how to lean into him for every single decision. He lovingly told me that the decisions were never the point. The intimacy with him was. As I walk out each day with him now, he is still setting me free. I still don't know what I really look like in the mirror, but I'm learning what I look like to God. I still want to turn to control when I feel anxious, but I'm learning to turn to Him instead. His voice is becoming louder and more easily recognized. The truth is starting to become more familiar than the lies, and the truth is that my freedom comes from surrender, not striving. I'm learning to accept myself, to see the beauty right where it is in all of my curves, even the ones I don't really like. I'm grateful for the body that's carried me for 39 years and given me four beautiful kids. I'm learning to be kind to myself and to others. I'm learning that a million times a day I have a choice to choose perfectionism or grace in my healing journey, in my marriage, and in my parenting. I am beginning to believe that I am beautiful, I am loved, and I am enough just as I am. Thanks for listening to my story.